Hi, everybody. It's John Dickerson. Welcome or welcome back to the Connection Point podcast. At the end of this episode, I'd encourage you to take a moment and check out cp.news on your web browser. Connection Point is a church that is fully online, and you can follow Jesus one day at a time from anywhere in the world with us. Well, I pray this message inspires you and challenges you today to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Hey, Connection Point, how are you? You look good. Turn to somebody and say, you know, you look good. I hope that was your spouse. Hey, as John said, uh, I was here two years ago, actually, in June, and uh, we love this church. I I cannot express that enough. In fact, just a few weeks ago, Sandy and I came over and just worshiped in a service with you, and we left, and we said, "God God is really up to something big in that church. He really is. And I think sometimes when you attend a church, you take it for granted. You lose sight of just how God really is moving. And I will promise you, I'm in churches all over the country, and I'll promise you God is doing something very, very special here. And a lot of it is because of the leadership of John and his wife, Mel, that he brought here. And so I I so appreciate their friendship and so love them and uh, love it that he is in the Indy area. I want to jump into this tonight, so let me pray and we'll get started. Father, I just thank you and praise you for your faithfulness. You're an amazing God. And What an incredible opportunity it is, Lord, to be able to come together and to worship you in spirit and in truth. I thank you for this church. I thank you, Lord God, for the way that you're moving in this church in some amazing ways. I thank you for the congregation and for their love for you and commitment to to be obedient to you and all that you're calling them to. And I'm thankful for their pastor, John, and for his wife, Mel, and their friendship. And pray, God, you just continue to bless them and use them in, in ways they never imagined. Thanks, God. And now as we get into this message tonight on this topic of faith, I just pray, Lord, that you would open up our eyes and ears to be able to see and hear exactly how you want to move in our lives individually. Thanks, God. We love you and praise you. We just ask that in the name of Jesus. Amen. In 1774, a visionary leader named John Adams boldly declared, someday I see a union of 13 states, a new nation, independent from Parliament and King of England. Just a few years later, against all odds, the U.S. was born. Fifteen years later, an Englishman named William Wilberforce stood before the British Parliament, and he lobbied for the day when slaves would no longer be bought and sold like farm animals. While it took several decades, eventually slave trade officially was abolished across the United Kingdom. In the 1940s, Billy Graham and a few college buddies gathered together and they dreamed of one day filling stadiums all over the world with people that had come to hear a gospel message. And now here we are years later and we know that millions of people heard the gospel via television and radio. What's my point? My point is what did all of these people have in common? Certainly, they had a God-given dream, but they also had the faith to do something about that dream. You know, guys, God often calls us to, to a task that stretches our faith. Not some of us, but all of us. He calls us to a task that stretches our faith. And we find ourselves very often saying, God, are you sure? Are you sure I'm the guy? 
are you sure there's not somebody that could do a better job than me? I know that you've had that happen. I'm sure that every one of these people that I just talked about at one time or another second-guessed themselves as they were trying to move forward with the dream or vision that God had given them. It's called basically a crisis of belief. A crisis of belief, or in other words, a crisis of faith. And it's that moment of truth in your life, that, that crossroads in your life, where you have to make a decision. Do you believe that God is true to his word or not? And if you do, then you need to do something about it. Listen to me, friends, and I'm gonna say this several times tonight, but God will never ask you to do anything that he won't give you the ability or equip you to carry it out. Well, right now, you're in a summer series on a book called Experiencing God. It's, a, it's an older book, but it's absolutely timeless. I'm a big reader and always have been, and in my personal library, I had over 1,000 books and uh, if I make a top 10 list, I can tell you this particular book is in that list. It is one of my favorite books of all time. I believe that this book has helped more people understand what it means to live the will of God than any other book that I can think of. And you see, the, the thing when experiencing God, you're like, well, what, what does that have to do with the will of God? The idea that Henry Blackaby is basically talking about is that you have to walk the walk. And when you make a decision that you're gonna do more than talk the talk, that you're gonna walk the walk, and you're out there walking in the spirit, then you are more likely to be able to hear or see the will of God being lived out in your life. Faith is a big deal, guys. Sometimes I think we underestimate it and it just seems to be another spiritual term that we use, but faith is a big deal. It's the main ingredient to a healthy relationship with God. In fact, the Bible says what? The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. He doesn't say it's hard. He doesn't say it's difficult. He says without faith, it's impossible to please God. In Matthew chapter eight, it says Jesus was amazed when he saw their, their expressions of great faith. In Matthew chapter nine, we see two blind men ask Jesus to heal them. Jesus responds, do you believe I can do this? They say that they do, and Jesus touches their eyes, and it says, he says, because of your faith, it will happen. In Mark chapter nine, a, a father, it's in a story that I'm sure you're all very, very familiar with, but in Mark chapter nine, a father brings his son who is demon possessed to Jesus and he said, please heal my son if you can. Jesus said, if I can, anything is possible if a person believes. And the father makes a statement that I've never forgotten. He says, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. I mean, don't we all struggle with our faith at times? It's a rhetorical question, because yes, we all do. The father, you see, was having a crisis of belief. The father was having, uh, he was at an intersection in life, and he was having a hard time believing, living it out. It's basically a, a, a cross-pull moment, is what I oftentimes call them. You know what a cross-pull moment is? Uh, let me give you a story I heard this years ago. 
But there was a, the guy that wrote the story said that he went to see a, a rancher friend and when he got there, the rancher had told him that he had just lost his favorite horse that was kind of a, his horse, it was a pet. He said, man, this horse is, is like a dog to me. It's like when I whistle, it comes, I love this horse. But he said, last night, uh, some wild horses broke through the fence and he said, I lost uh, all my horses, including my favorite. Well, later that afternoon, the ranch hands said, we saw over the ridge, the horses are grazing down there. And so the author of the story jumps in with the rancher and they drive down there. The horses are out in this field. And so the rancher, they get in quietly as not to scare the horse and he whistles, which is the way he would call his horse. And the moment that he whistles, all the horses take off. And he said, you could see his horse. And he goes one way to follow the horses and then he stops and he turns back to his master. And then he tries to go again and then back. And he said, I'm watching this scene unfold and you could feel the tension. You could feel the cross pull that's going on in this horse's life. Do I, do I go with the herd? Do I go with, the, with what everybody else is doing? Or do I go with my master? And he said, that is so much like life. And I agree. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about a crisis of belief. It's that cross pull. It's that tension in your life where you now have to make a decision. Do I believe God or not? And if I believe God, then I'm going to respond to what God has told me to do. It often happens when God asks you to step out and trust him. That's when you feel the tension. Friends, unbelief is not just, hear me on this, unbelief is not just the opposite of faith, but it's also the opposing force of faith. God, I, I really wanna believe you, but I'm struggling here. Like a weed, unbelief tries to choke out the fruit. Okay, so what do we mean when we talk about a crisis of belief? Because when we, when we talk about a crisis, we think about a tragedy, we think about a catastrophic event, but guys, that's not at all what we're talking about. The word crisis comes from a Greek word that literally means decision. So we're talking about a turning point. We're talking about a fork in the road. We're talking about that cross pull where you have to make a decision. Friends, this is where you have to decide whether you believe what you say you believe about God's word. Because the true test of faith is not so much about what you say you believe, but it's how you respond to what God is asking you to do. Friends, listen to me. I think you know this is true, but we're not just talking about a one-time decision. We need to make this decision over and over again and again every single day of our life. In other words, that really is what the Christian life is about. Every single day, you're faced with moments that you have to make a decision whether you really do trust the word of God or not, whether you really do believe it to be true or not. But again, we have to remember is that God will never ask us to do anything that he won't give us the ability to carry it out. Listen, I feel like I have a strong faith. In fact, uh, you know, I'm sure you've heard spiritual gifts talked about and every one of us in this room, all the gifts are available to all of us, but every one of us in this room have certain gifts that we're stronger. We, God seems to use us more in those areas. And mine, one of my spiritual gifts would be that of faith. 
And yet, like everyone, there are so many times in my week, there are so many times in my life that I struggle to trust God in some specific area. Uh, let, let me give you an example of what I'm saying. Years ago, I was in my office and I was called uh, to go to the ER. I got a phone call and it said one of the gentlemen in my church, an elderly gentleman in my church, his name was Larry, had had a massive stroke and they said, you need to come. And so I got up and I headed toward the hospital. I went into the ER, went to the nurse's station and I told the nurse who I was looking for, she said, here, I'll take you back. And so she gets up and as we're walking back there, I said, how bad is it? And she said, well, it's not good at all. And I said, is he gonna make it? And she said, I don't know. I'm just telling you, it's not good at all. So she took me, I went into the room and his wife Betty and daughter Debbie were standing there and, uh, uh, and by Larry and Larry had not moved. He was totally unconscious and had not moved at all. They're standing there, I get on the other side of the bed and I said, well, tell me, gosh, what happened today? And so they walked through the story of what had happened to Larry that particular day that brought him to this hospital bed. And then I did what I always do when I go into a hospital. I looked at them and I said, well, what do you want me to pray for here? Tell me how you want me to pray. Well, they looked at me, especially Betty looked at me like I'd kind of lost my mind. She looked at me with confusion and she said, well, Pastor, we want you to pray that God raise him up. We, we want you to pray that God would heal him. I, I just got to tell you guys, I was skeptical at that moment. I, I, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, my mind is racing, and I'm thinking, there's no way this guy's coming up off this gurney. I, I think he's gone. And how do I let her down? And I just stood there, and she said, Pastor, that's what we want you to pray. I said, okay, let's pray. And so I reached across and I took their hands and we, we began to pray. And we had no more begun praying than I heard something, a noise. And, and I did a one-eye prayer. You ever, you ever do a one-eye prayer? Where you're, you've got one eye closed but one eye peeking so you can see what's going on. And so I'm looking through my one eye down and I'm seeing it's Larry making this noise. And so then that one eye that's open catches the nurse over there and she's looking at me and she motions to him and I nod. And so the next thing I knew, we're being pushed out of the way, Betty and her daughter being pushed out of the way, the doctors rush in, the nurses rushed in because all of a sudden Larry's conscious and he's moving around, he's flaying around. Well, the next morning he was sent home with nothing wrong. They could find no further problems. Certainly, listen to me guys, certainly not because of my faith, because at that very moment I was having my own crisis of belief. But this man's wife trusted God. I, I'm sure she was struggling in her own dungeon of doubt, but she had the faith to believe that we still serve a miracle working God. But here's the point, the reason I told you this story, here's the point that I want you to see. Even though I was struggling, Listen, even though I was struggling with a crisis of belief, I did pray. Even though I was struggling with my own dungeon of doubt, I did pray. So you see, at that very moment, I can totally relate to that father who cried out, I do believe, help my unbelief. And yet in the middle of my crisis of belief, I made a decision. That's what I said the word crisis means. It's to make a decision. I chose to respond in faith. 
You see, guys, your response, please hear me on this because it could really change your spiritual journey. Your response is key to your faith. And prayer, listen, prayer in itself is demonstration of faith. Because what do we do when we pray? What happens when we pray? The first thing we do is we have to refocus our attention back on God. So it gets our attention back on God and we're praying. So it's a very act of faith in itself. And we're praying and asking God to step in. We're asking him for a miracle. We're asking him to step into our situation. I've heard it said before that prayer is as natural an expression of faith as breathing is to life. Well, I didn't have very much faith at that moment when I prayed for that man to be healed. I did have enough faith to go to God in prayer. And Jesus said what? Jesus said, even if you had the faith as small of a, as a mustard seed, you could say to that mountain, move from here to there, and it would be moved. I, I don't know if you've ever seen a mustard seed. When I went to Israel, I, I wish I'd have brought the photograph, but I put uh, uh, mustard seeds in my hand, and there were hundreds and hundreds of them, and it just barely filled my hand. They're the smallest seed known to man. So Jesus was obviously trying to make a point. Even if you have the faith, the smallest of mustard seed, you could say to that mountain, move from here to there and it'll move. I know that there's still some of you in the room that would argue with me and you'd say, Steve, it's not that I have a small amount of faith. I just don't have any faith. I, I, I don't have any faith. And guys, if you're a born-again believer, if you've invited Jesus Christ to come into your life as Savior and Lord, that statement is absolutely not true. Because Jesus told us in John chapter 6 that faith is a gift from God. And Paul tells us in Romans chapter 10 and in Romans chapter 12 verse 3 that God has given each one of us a measure of faith. So what's my point? My point is Faith is a gift from God. It's not of your own doing. Faith is a gift from God. But then you and I have to make that decision, that crisis, that decision that we're gonna act on whatever amount of faith that we have. No matter how small it might be, are you gonna respond to it? Now, certainly I want my faith to grow, but in order for that to happen, I've gotta keep using it. So in other words, when I come, when God asks me to do something and I come to that crisis of belief, I have to keep making the decision, I'm gonna respond, I'm gonna act on it. And the more I do that, just like working your muscle, your muscle begins to grow in the same way. The more you respond in a positive way, your faith begins to grow as well. Faith is a verb. It's action, it's doing, it's trusting. I once heard someone say that, you know, if you took a picture of faith, it would just be a blur. You see, faith is creating some spiritual disciplines in my life so that I will grow in my relationship with God. Faith is creating some uh, good habits in my life, spiritual habits in my life, so I'll grow in my relationship with God. The Bible actually defines for us faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse one, it says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So faith is trusting God with the things that I don't see, trusting God with the things I don't understand. It's trusting God with the impossible. Now while that may seem a little scary at times, and it does, if we're honest, doesn't it? To walk in faith can be intimidating. To walk in faith uh, can be sometimes a little fearful. God's asking you to do something, you're thinking, I don't know. I don't know if I can do that. Maybe God asks you to talk to your neighbor. And you're like, oh God, I'm not good at this kind of stuff. But God will never ask you to do anything. He won't give you the ability to carry it out. 
So yes, faith can be scary at times, but at the same time, guys, faith can be a little bit exhilarating. Faith is an adventure. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. Oftentimes throughout the years, I'll I'll hear people talk to me about how boring Christianity is. And I have to chuckle when they say that. I think, oh my goodness, you don't have any understanding of what the faith-filled life is all about because it's anything but boring. Faith is what makes the difference between living a fulfilled life and just existing. Christians that are miserable in their Christian faith, it's because you're not living a faith-filled life because once you do, you'll find it exhilarating. Faith ignites the fire in our belly. It's what magnifies the passion that God has placed within each of our lives. Faith is is stepping out of our comfort zone. It's taking a risk. All throughout my ministry, ministry 35 years, and every seven years, I would take a three-month sabbatical. And I was always always consistent with what I did. And during those three months, part of it was to look back at what had happened the last seven years to kind of try to evaluate and and sum up everything that happened the last seven years and then to start praying about, okay, God, now what do you have in the next seven years? What is it that you want me to do now? Well, in 2014, um, I went on a sabbatical and I was in the final month, it was July of that year, I was in the final month of my sabbatical and so I'm praying. This was the month I was really gonna focus in and I had already thought about everything that had happened and I was pleased about the growth that our church had experienced. And so I start praying, I'm like, okay God, what do you want for me in the next seven years? And all I could get on that first day is, Steve, I want you to trust me. That's all I could get. And I'd come back the next day Steve, I want you to be bold in your faith. That's all I could get. And that went on for about a week to the point, if I'm embarrassingly will admit, I started getting very frustrated at God. It's like, okay, I do trust you. And and I'm trying to make my case with God and saying, look at the past seven years and what we've accomplished. I mean, I think I've demonstrated that I'm a man of faith, God. And then finally, it was like in my prayer time, I heard God say, Steve, Your faith is very calculated. You only trust me when every T is crossed and every I is dotted. I want you to trust me even if you fail. Whoa, that was a new thought. Because if I were being honest, that was the case. I'm like everybody. I, I'm, I want to be a people pleaser. I, want the, I wanted the church and the, the leadership of the church to be pleased with the direction I was taking everything. We all want to please people around us. But God was saying, I want you to be bold, be willing to take a risk, and to trust me even if you fail. Well, it was challenging to me. I came back, and as I came back, uh, again, it was August 1st, and every year uh, we would go to the Leadership Summit. Willow Creek had what they call a Leadership Summit, and it was a Grace Church there in Noblesville, and it was a simulcast. And so we went, and that year, uh, 2014, they interviewed Jim Collins. Uh, Jim Collins is an author on leadership books. He wrote Good to Great, and he wrote Built to Last. And so Jim Collins had coined the term BHAG. Maybe you've heard that before, Big, Hairy, Audacious Goal. Well, because of reading that book, we had picked up that terminology with my staff, and so every year when we would have our planning meetings, 
I would tell my department heads, I want to know what your BHAG is, your big, hairy, audacious goal. Tell me what your BHAG is, biggest goal you can come up with and dream for. Well, I'm sitting there listening to them interview Jim Collins, and the guy says to him, the interviewer says, so you coined the term BHAG. He said, well, I did. And he said, could you define for us what does that even mean? And he said, a BHAG is an unattainable goal. Well, the whole world stopped for me. I heard that, and it just like everything came to a screeching halt. That, and I thought, no, that's not what it means. That's not the way we've been defining it. We've been defining it as this big dream, this big goal that you can come up with, and you're saying it's an unattainable goal. And then it was like, again, the Lord whispered in my ear and said, that's what I've been talking to you about the past 30 days. I want your goals and dreams to be so bold and big that you trust me even if you fail. I want them to be an unattainable goal, which actually is the definition of a miracle. A mir what is a miracle? A miracle is when you, you hit a wall or you're at the end of your rope and there's nothing left to do, and so you ask God to do what? You ask God to, to step in. You know, God, there's nothing I can do, so I need you to step in. That's what a BHAG is. A BHAG is a goal so big that the only way this is gonna happen is if God steps in and performs some kind of a miracle. It's a God-given dream or goal. The only way we're ever gonna pull it off is if God is in it. So for the last several years, again, it's been a part of the language that I used when I was at Northview. And I mean, let me just say this to you guys. I, I do lunch with your pastor frequently and I've heard him talk about his dreams and I've heard him talk about his goals. And those goals and dreams are so big, only God. Those dreams and goals are so big, the only, they're unattainable goals, the only way they're gonna happen is if God steps in. You see, John's dreams are full of faith. And when I sit and listen to him, I love to hear from him because when I sit and listen to him, they inspire me, they encourage me to wanna to do ministry even more. Guys, big dreams create excitement in a church. Big dreams create excitement in individuals spiritually and they help our faith to grow. And faith in itself is contagious. I cannot overemphasize the importance of this in our life. Faith is contagious. So church, as you begin to grow in your faith and you begin to make a determination that you're gonna to respond to the faith that God has given you, then as you start inviting your friends to come to the church, they experience your faith-filled life and it is contagious. They want more of it. So when a pastor like yours is bold enough to dream big dreams and trust God, the congregation then catches that spirit of faith and it inspires them to put their trust in him. And that's why it's so important for a pastor to frequently stand in front of his congregation and share his God-given dreams, to share his God-given vision. Because everything in our culture today Everything in our world today tells us to play it safe. We avoid risk at all cost. We stay as far away from danger as we possibly can. We put warning labels on everything today. We get out of the pool when it begins to thunder. We avoid dark alleys at night, and we never, I mean, we never, ever pull the tag off our mattresses. But seriously, you will never accomplish anything great for God unless you're willing to trust him, unless you're willing to respond to that faith that he's given you. We have to be willing 
to color outside the lines. We have to be willing to take some risk when it comes to our faith. Friends, listen to me. The Christian life was meant to be enjoyed. The Christian life was meant to be a blessing, a blast, not just endured. Paul tries to tell us that in 1 Timothy chapter 6, where he says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God. Listen to this. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Faith perseveres while the world tells you to give up. Ever feel overwhelmed by life? I know it's a silly question. Every one of us have those times where we, where we feel overwhelmed by life. Maybe you're struggling with a health problem that just won't go away. Maybe you hate your job or your marriage is in trouble or you're at odds with your kids. Sometimes we go through struggles in life and it feels like it might just be a whole lot easier if we quit. It might just be a whole lot easier if we give up. And of course, there's no shortage of opinions out there, is there? Everybody has an opinion what you're supposed to do. Why do you put yourself through this? Why don't you just get a divorce? If you don't like that job, why don't you just quit your job? Hey, I don't know, this is just me, but I wouldn't take those treatments if I were you. Listen to me, guys. Faith stays focused on God regardless of what everyone else has to say about it. I'm not saying that God caused this problem in your life because I, I absolutely don't believe that he did. Listen to me. You know, one of my favorite passages, Romans 8, 28, which says, you know, God works all things together for our good. And that's one of the most misquoted scriptures in the Bible because we think oftentimes that means that everything's gonna be good in my life. Uh, Romans 8, 28 says so. That's not what that verse says. God says he's gonna work all things together for good. He's gonna take this bad scenario in your life and he's gonna take this bad situation in your life and if you just trust him and if you just respond in faith, God's gonna take all those things that the devil meant for a black eye and he's gonna work those things together to somehow, one way or another, come out for your good. Guys, there's so much that we can learn from the trials of our life. There's so many different ways that we can grow from the trials of our life. Every storm is a school, every trial is a teacher, every experience is an education. But all too often, if we're honest, we're, we're kind of slow learners. And I think that's what James is trying to explain to us in chapter one of his great book when he said, consider it joy, my brothers, when you go through trials because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So if you want a stronger faith, then you've gotta draw a line in the sand and determine you're never gonna give up. You gotta draw a line and determine you're gonna finish the course no matter what. Some of the last words that Paul ever wrote, you know, he was martyred for his faith, he was beheaded, and some of the last words that Paul wrote are at the end of his life at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse six, and he says, for I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. Paul knew he was at the end of his life. He knew it was coming. And then verse seven, it says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. I have fought the good fight, he responded in faith. I have finished the race, I never quit, and I have kept the faith. Why is that so important? Because again, faith is the key to our relationship with God. 
Paul went through all kinds of difficulties, didn't he? I mean, come on, he was, he was shipwrecked, he was beaten, he was left for dead, he was snake-bitten, on and on it goes. But he finished the race and he kept his faith. Friends, God has a purpose and a plan for every one of you. God has a purpose. Sometimes we think, well, I know he does for the pastor, I know he does maybe for the elders, but I don't know if he does for me. God, has a, God knew you before you were ever in your mother's womb, and he has a purpose and a plan for your life. But you have to finish the race, or you'll miss out on God's plan for you. I think more times than not, fear is the reason we give up. A lot of people quit because of fear. Fear is the biggest weapon in Satan's arsenal. Why? Because it's the opposite of faith. The definition, uh, this, this will, listen to this. Here's the definition of faith. The definition of faith is believing what you cannot see will come to pass. Believing what you cannot see will come to pass. Do you know what the definition of fear is? Believing what you cannot see will come to pass. Believing what you cannot see will come to pass. The only difference between the two is trust. Fear puts our circumstances between us and God. You understand what I'm saying? It's like, here's God up here, and we, we want to have a relationship with him. But all of a sudden, let's say these four fingers are my circumstances in life, my trial, whatever it is I'm going through. And all of a sudden, what do we do? We stick these four fingers up, and now I'm not seeing God. Now all I'm seeing is these four fingers. My focus changes to the problems. Fear puts our circumstances between us and God, while faith puts God between us and our circumstance. So here I've got my circumstance going on, and faith says, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna trust God. And it changes my focus from the circumstances back to my relationship with God. You know, there are so many examples in Scripture that I could give you, stories that we could talk about where people allowed fear to keep them from God's best, where people allowed fear to keep them from trusting God. For instance, 40, after 40 years in the desert, three million plus Jewish people arrive at a promised land. God had already told them that this land is theirs. All they had to do at this point, the only thing left to do was to go in and take the land. But fear put their circumstance between them and God. And so what did they do? They make a decision. They're going to send 12 spies to spy out the land. And when they return, Joshua and Caleb stand up and say, yes, we can do this. Yes, we can do it. God told us the land was ours. There's no question we can go in and take the land. But the other 10 spies, they were scared. They were fearful. They said, no. No, it's safer to stay right here. There are giants in the land. They make us feel like little grasshoppers. We feel like little insects, and they may kill us. So they allow fear and unbelief to keep them from going in and taking what God has already stated was theirs. Or what about when Peter stepped out of the safety of his boat to walk on water? I can almost hear the disciples trying to hold him back. Peter, what are you doing? Would you please sit down? You're rocking the boat. But Peter was so focused on God, he was unaware of the storm at that moment. At that moment, the circumstances around him was out of his thought life. The only thing he could see is Jesus. And he did what no man had ever done. He stepped out of that boat. Yes, it's storming, but even if it wasn't, he stepped out of that boat and he walked on water. And as long as he stayed focused on Jesus, he is, he is water walking. And then what happens? The thunder is clapping, the waves are rising, and he takes his 
focus off of Jesus and looks to the storm and he gets wet. And Jesus has to pull him out. Guys, it's easy to say that we trust God, but until we put feet to our faith, is it really faith? We have to determine that we're gonna be doers of the word of God and not just hearers. Another characteristic of faith is the dreams of a better tomorrow when the world says live for today. Today's culture says it's all about me. If it feels good, do it. Do it if it's what you feel. Friends, if you buy into that philosophy, I think you're gonna come to the end of your life and you're gonna have so many regrets. Faith recognizes that God put us on this earth to make a contribution. Faith recognizes that God put us on this earth because he wants us to do something significant. You know, uh, there's a whole lot of best-selling books out there today that offer advice on how to get the most out of life, and they want to tell you this is what life, this is the purpose of life, this is what life's all about. And I would just tell you, they're all false. This, this, this life that we're living is not about you. This life that we're living is not about you. It is all about him. You have to settle that, first of all, before you're ever going to understand anything else we're talking about. But life is not about you. It's all about him. And God wants to be in relationship with you. Paul, Paul tells us in Ephesians that God created us for good works. Paul tells us God created us to reach others who are far from God. And then friends, ask yourself, what, who are you in life? Are you a fire lighter or are you a fire fighter? You say, well, I don't know. I don't even understand what that means. A fire lighter is the type of person that they see a spark in somebody and they want to fan the flame. They want to ignite the spark. They want to encourage them and inspire them to, to be all that God wants you to be, to be your very best for the kingdom of God. That's a fire lighter. A firefighter is the person that's always dousing someone's flame. So, so you, get the, you get this person and they start getting excited about God and you come along and you want to douse their flame and say, well, you're, you're being crazy. Sit down, Peter. You're rocking the boat. Those are firefighters. Guys, I can't say this enough. If you're going to live a life of faith, if you're going to live a life that never settles, if you're going to live a life without regrets, then refuse. Hear me, please. Refuse to sit on the sidelines. Make up your mind that no matter how hard it is, no matter how busy you are, no, long, no matter how long it takes you, you're going to move past your apathy. You're going to move past your fear and decide you're going to start walking in a life of faith. Guys, nobody can do this for you. So stop waiting. Please hear me on this. Hear my heart. Stop waiting for your pastor to call you off the bench. Stop, stop waiting for your pastors to put you in the game. You have to decide. You have to be the one that says, you know what? I'm all in. No matter what, I'm all in. I don't know how gifted I am. I don't know what I really offer for the kingdom, but whatever it is, it doesn't matter. I'm giving my all. I'm not telling you it's going to be easy. There's going to be difficult times. I mean, Jesus warned us that there would be difficult times. But I'm just saying that God has a plan for your life, and the only way to see that plan fulfilled is by intentionally stepping out of your comfort zone and living a life of faith. 
So what's God asking you to do? Nobody can answer that for you. Your spouse can't answer it. Your kids can't answer it. Your parents can't answer it. What is God asking you to do? I promise he wants you to trust him. So let me just say it one more time. God will never ask you to do anything that he won't give you the ability to carry it out. So if you're not living a life of faith, friends, if you're not living a life of faith, you're missing out on God's best for your life. Does God still love you? Absolutely. Does God still forgive you? Absolutely. I'm just saying you're robbing yourself of the purposes and plans that God has for you. You're missing out on the adventure of a lifetime. And then let me say this before I close. People in this community are watching this church because they want to see if you really do believe what you say you believe. They want to see if you really do believe what you teach. And I already said it to you, but I think that's why you're so fortunate to have a pastor who dares to dream big dreams for God. So what I'm telling you, don't, don't take this offensively. If you're not involved, then that is indeed a crisis of belief. Because what we say a crisis was, a crisis is a decision point. A crisis is a cross pull in life. So if you're not involved using the gifts and talents that God has given you, then you are at a point of a crisis of belief. You're at a decision point where you have to decide, am I gonna step out now? Am I gonna utilize the faith God has given me? Am I gonna trust him? So I encourage you. I encourage you to get off the sidelines and make up your mind that you're gonna get in the game. Don't allow a crisis of belief to keep you from an adventure of a lifetime. Can I just ask you to bow your heads with me, please? Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. With every head bowed, how many of you would say, okay, Steve, I, I hear you. I'm at a crossroads. And I feel that tug. I feel that tension, that cross pull in my life. Would you pray for me that I'll walk in faith? If that's you, just raise your hand and put it back down. If that's you, just raise it up and put it back down. Yes, all over the room. Father, I thank you and I praise you for the boldness of those that stuck their hand in the air. I thank you, Lord, for their awareness, their self-awareness to recognize where they are in their spiritual walk, where they are in their journey. So God, I just ask you, forgive us for our unbelief. Forgive us for our apathy at times, but help us, oh God, to have the courage to act upon the faith that you've given us. No matter how small our faith may seem to us, I pray, dear God, give us the courage and the boldness to act upon the faith that you've given us. So I pray that for every person that raised their hands. Thank you, God. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your patience. We ask it all now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Connection Point. I love you. Can we just give it? Well, if today's episode encouraged you or helped you in any way, we would invite you to keep following Jesus with us. We send out a daily video text devotional. You can receive that 
and you can learn how to gather with us online or in person for our weekend services. All of that is available over at cp.news. That's the letter C, the letter P.news on your phone or desktop or tablet browser. Thanks again for joining us and please join me again next week for the Connection Point Podcast.